look, I'm not a fucking reach like Michael Bay or other people running around in that business or Ellie Ross making the same shitty movies over and over again. If you really look at my movies, you will see my real genius. Who are you? you will see that I deliver a movie what nobody else delivered in the last 10 years. What is way better is all that social critic George Clooney bullshit. Who are you? You have to really wake up and you have to see me what I am. I'm the only genius in the whole fucking business. Who are you? Pronounced Uwe, I'm not going to stop doing this joke. It's how I'm going to introduce every episode. My name is Shawnee Campion. As always, I'm joined by my flatulent, handsome and father figure, Al Bates. How are you today, Batesy? I'm great, Sean. How are you, Vey? I am fantastic. Now, we're to coming to an end on this. We've looked into House of the Dead, his early work. We've studied the tax code of Germany and understood how he could make Alone in the Dark happen. And then <laughs> we've plumbed the depths of the unbearable darkness that is Uwe's soul, as we've looked into In the Name of the King and Blood Rain. But Al, how are we going to end today? Well... Today we're going to go out with a film that Juve considers his most important film and his most personal film, the 2007 film Postal. Now, with Postal, this is based in mainly on Postal 2, a 2003 video game quite famous in certain circles for really pushing the envelope in terms of what was considered tasteful. Now, back in 2003, there was only really one way to track down Postal 2. You had to find that bad kid, that kid who's, you know, whose parents had a shipping container in the front yard, the kid with the infected hoop earring, the kid who rode his BMX bike around school and only drank a liter of Coke every day. And so when it came... I was, uh, I was that kid and I had, when I was in grade eight, I had bleach blonde tips and I always used to wear my element Bear Margera shirt everywhere. Stepping on his own introduction is none other than no power aid in the USA, Christian. I couldn't think of anyone more synonymous with that description than our boy Christian. How are you today, my friend? Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm drinking a ton beer. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's $36 for a 30-pack, so I'm enjoying that. I didn't get to finish the movie Postal because I'm a very busy man. Uh, (laughs) But I've made it an hour in. I think that's pretty much all you really need. So I didn't do all my homework. I know my my teachers, Sean and Al, are pretty mad at me. but It took an hour to write. I thought it would take an hour to read. Christian sped home on his BMX bike (laughs) to uh, (laughs) walk past all the holes he'd punched in the wall into the dungeon that is his room and got on the mic to speak to us. We're very excited. Christian, did you end up watching it at 1.75? I watched it at 1.5, but uh, like as you know, I, uh, I have what they call audio autism, so I had to slow it back to like, 1.4. <laughs> <laughs> what, regular it was, speed? <laughs> yeah, it was upsetting me. I was like, no, it, it sounds like it's clipping to me. I, gotta, I, gotta... I need to hear the nuance <laughs> of Osama Bin Laden's gay voice delivery. Christian, when did you first become aware of Postal 2? Probably 2004. I think it was like the shitty kid at school was telling me about it. I wasn't the shitty kid. I was a shitty kid, but not that bad. 
an even shittier kid. Ooh. Yeah, he linked me like the demo of it, which was free, and you could play like just a certain section of it. But that was enough. Like, it had a time game... limit, didn't it? It was like yeah. you could only play an hour at a time. That was enough though, because like pretty much all I did in that game. This is gonna sound really fucked up, but it was like my favorite thing to do in that game was to burn people to like a crisp, but to like where they were still alive. <laughs> And they'd be like crawling after like you've burnt them, and then you piss them out. Like you put the fire out. With your <laughs> and that was pretty much all I did. It was like, <laughs> but I liked doing that. That's all anyone did in the game. I would get everyone into the only building you could walk into. I think either the bank or the nightclub. I'd scurry the everyone the on. Yeah. The and then I would set the place on fire. It was terrible. But this predates <laughs> something like Half-Life 2, where you've got, like, this had ragdoll physics. This had, you know, like, an open-world story. Like, it was a pretty impressive game for 2003. Yeah, no, at yeah. the time, I was like, this, this just feels like the natural evolution of GTA 3. Did this predate San Andreas? Uh, no. I'd say it was the same year. I remember seeing the demo of it on a PC PowerPlay CD, and then the next month it got, like, censored or, like, banned in Australia, so I remember tracking down that CD and playing the demo. And kind of like Christian, uh, I really took delight in just doing the one thing over and over again, and for me that was using the cat as a silencer and just, like... Yeah, that's oh, yeah, fantastic. meow. It's it's all very good stuff. <laughs> I also think I was pretty impressed with it being like the first game I played where there was swearing in it, which yeah, was pretty badass. Oh, it was for a fourteen-year-old. It was insanely appealing. Like I don't yeah. think I'd probably enjoy it now because it's so pointless. Yeah, I need structure now. I'm nearly thirty. <laughs> Christian, when did you first become aware of Uve Bowl? I th I think. I worked in a video store from like the time I was 14 to like 19 so we'd get a lot of just like you could just look at the covers of everything and like you just became familiar with everything so I I think I rented out House of the Dead being a, a fan of the game yeah and then I was like what the fuck is this <laughs> about this so you this rented genius. it out sight unseen before he really made a name for himself as kind of the enemy of all turbo nerds everywhere yeah, well, like just just the name alone, House of the Dead, carried enough weight with me as a uh, like fifteen, sixteen year old boy that I was like, oh shit, I gotta see this fucking movie, man. Yeah, the game's behind a curtain. How fucked up must this movie be? Yeah, exactly. I remember going to the, like this the fucking theater, and you'd see like the game behind the curtain, and you're like scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> Should we get stuck into the film? Let's get stuck into the film. <laughs> Regular Joe is about to uncover Jihad! two sinister plots. Today we do God's work. We will strike a blow against America. I'm gonna go watch Oprah. We must wipe out the entire planet. You guys have issues, man. And he'll use whatever means necessary to bring the bad guys to justice. I have to destroy a postal truck filled with lethal microbes before a doomsday cult or a terrorist group destroys the entire world. Yeah, like I believe that. <laughs> 100 virgins, they promised me 100. Maybe the exact number of virgins is not precise. Jesus, not many anymore. Too many monsters. 
monsters under the first is going around. You've got to be kidding me. Does he know what we are here? Where'd you get so many monkeys? Well, no, I got nothing to do with this. Don't go mad. <laughs> go postal. Should I send a couple cruise missiles down there? I just wish I knew how to quit you. Postal. Everybody should buy my book, How to Fire an Employee Without Making Him Go Postal. So this film kicks off as we are introduced to uh, two characters. Let's call them... Uh, Mutt and Jeff. Sure. <laughs> two, uh, our, our two erstwhile hijackers of the 9-11 flight arguing about how many virgins they're going to get in heaven after they die. Now, it was like really startling to me because I'd recently just gone on a kick of Four Lions and The Day Will Come. The uh, Chris Morris films about you know terrorists. Watching this, I was thinking like this is like Four Lions for the dumbest person. Alive. Yeah, this is for <laughs> Four Lions for like the guy who works as a bartender at Rick's. Like, <laughs> I was just blown away that you know people were doing this back in two thousand seven, and this scene is fantastic. It's absolutely hilarious. There's great deliveries. You get that amazing shot of the window cleaner turning around on the the Twin Towers and seeing the plane hit the building. It looks fantastic. It's a hell of a way to kick off the film. The great punchline is uh, that they decide to fucking bail on flying the plane into the World Trade Center to go to the Bahamas and the cabin crew (laughs) finally bust the door down and push the joystick into the building. It's pretty, like, raunchy stuff to suggest... That the 9-11 cabin crew were the ones that caused 9-11. Yeah. I mean, that is the subtext there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this this film is kind of maybe, maybe the first bit of media I can think of that really makes a point of just because they were victims of a horrible thing doesn't make these people heroes. It's pretty cool. An interesting part about this sequence is that footage of it was leaked to the New York, the New York Post, who, at the height of hating Uwe Boll mania, played this sequence to victims of people killed in the 9-11 attacks <laughs> and told them, you know, look at this awful, horrible man who's doing this. And, I mean, it, at this time, 2007... Hating Uwe Boll was the big thing to do on the internet. It was the hating Elon Musk, the hating Martin Shkreli of its time. But Uwe was rightly justified in lashing back at the New York Post and telling them, what did you possibly gain from showing victims this sequence? Like, you could have just told them about it. <laughs> I kind of liked, like, the, the juxtaposition of, like, do you remember the first Spider-Man trailer when that came out? It had the Twin Towers in it, and then they removed Yes! Yeah. With the helicopter caught in the web. Yeah, just, like, the difference between, like, them respectively moving that and then UA Ball just being like, oh, 9-11, right, 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 guys? Yeah. Like, <laughs> good shit. This whole movie has that tone of, like, nah, that's pretty funny, right? You can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're introduced to Zach Ward's character, Postal Dude, who is basically a bum. He's the shitty kid all grown up. He's who was what was the name of your shitty kid? Mine was Russell. 
Uh, mine was Norton. <laughs> I had <laughs> uh, Rory. Rory and Norton seem quite upper crust. Russell is more shitty kid. It's a rust. <laughs> a rusty. Now, Postal Dude has got the world's shittiest life. He's morbidly obese wife hates him and is sleeping everyone in the trailer park they yeah, live I in some, uh, i wrote some note downs at this part where they introduced the character i wrote his wife is a dumb fat bitch haha ha. i'm conditioned <laughs> by society to feel this way haha ha. i'm an animal and i want to be fucked lol i want to feel another person's body warmth haha ha. you wrote this this afternoon <laughs> no, I, was, no I, I wrote it last night when i was really high <laughs> <laughs> You've got layers that I'm looking forward to peeling back, Christian. Thank you. The postal dude hates his life, and he's just trying to make do. He wants to get out of paradise, the town he lives in. And so he takes the shitty job at the, the call center interview where he's dehumanized. He lets people walk all over him. So I got it. I got the job. Oh, hell no. No, no, no. This was just like a getting to know you interview. Oh yeah, no, no. We have we have uh, we have a couple of more. Uh, One hundred and twenty. Yeah, you know, we have some uh, more more candidates to uh, talk to. But hell of a start, though. Absolutely. He has a shitty fucking time. There's this incredible sequence at a welfare office where a shootout breaks out. <laughs> yeah. The postal dude spends the whole time checking corpses for what number ticket they've got to see <laughs> if he can move up in the Centrelink line. I did enjoy that all of the heels in the movie in like the first fifteen minutes are either just like racist caricatures or uh black uh sorry like fat women (laughs) (laughs) that was that was it like moving parallel to this plot is the story of the taliban who seem to have (laughs) taken up roots in this i want to say just midwestern american town paradise Paradise. We're planning, I don't know, a second 9 11. There's some incredible sequences with basically Osama bin Laden is hanging out in the back of a, of a 7 Eleven waiting for what's going on. And Osama bin Laden is so depressed in this film. <laughs> he just, he's, his life hasn't really worked out the way he'd hoped. George Bush isn't really taking his calls anymore. He, he doesn't know how to get his followers to really follow along, which is remarkably prescient, as we all learned when they raided Osama bin Laden's bunker, that he was depressed. He spent quite a bit of time <laughs> commenting on YouTube videos, arguing with people that Osama bin Laden was actually a cool guy. <laughs> that, I, that's like, a... I, I love the idea of him playing like Final Fantasy ROMs and listening to like shitty podcasts. <laughs> that's like that's something that I I would do. Really. <laughs> yeah, more like uh, Osama bin Gaiman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People have been saying that for a while now. (laughs) (laughs) To read my notes of like the first 15 minutes of the film. Yeah, so I wrote, uh, quality film racism is a missing art form in 2020 comedies, which are all now about anxious adults playing board games that get really wacky and then reacting to situations. And then five minutes later underneath it, I wrote, Never mind, it got too racist for me. <laughs> <laughs> what was the. Do you remember the bit that was too racist for you? 
I think it was the entire scene, like, where they set up the terrorists in the back of the shop. Like, the first scene where the guy's, like, telling the guy to stop reading the magazine, and then it immediately just cuts to, like, all the terrorists in the back. I was like, oh, yeah, no. no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Every sequence with the Taliban in the back of the convenience store, like, I was getting massive fat pizza vibes. Was I I alone (laughs) there? Like, I think that's the closest in terms of satire that this film hits for me. Yeah, I don't know, like, I I still, Fat Pizza has, like, a special place in my heart, but I feel like if I went back and watched it, it would just be like, oh, this is really bad. (laughs) I watched Fat Pizza versus Halzo's earlier this year. It holds up so well, it's fantastic. (laughs) The the guy uh, who played Bobo is kind of known for being a bit of a lush around the inner west, and, uh... He still wears like a fat pizza T-shirt any everywhere, and will like get photos with people as soon as they're like, "Holy shit, it's Bubba from Fat Pizza!" But he also has a habit of like whipping his dick out in these photos. It's pretty fucking sweet. Oof. That's <laughs> rough. Did you say that he's a lush employee? You can't be whipping your dick out. <laughs> it smells nice in there. Don't take your dick out. You you also compared it to Arrested Development in the kind of played straightness of a lot of the really shitty gags. Well, this really is... I think Arrested Development is the absolute best encapsulation of the Bush era. And this would come out a year after Arrested Development's third and, I wish, final season. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it's the closest in terms of what this film was trying to do would probably be Arrested Development. Meets probably a bit of live-action South Park in there, I guess. A lot, Yeah, Arrested Development if they said the N-word. Now, <laughs> we find ourselves at this weird, like, branch David and Colt with Dave Foley, who is absolutely unrecognizable from his babyface role in news radio or kids in the hall. He's absolutely giving it his all in this film. He's so fucking funny as this, like kind of john belushi type character actor it's amazing to see oh, him dude, this this movie had like legit good character actors i mean it has fucking jk simmons in it yeah yeah, <laughs> I will say, uh, yeah. dave foley and jk simmons uh both told their agents that they were not going to listen to them and that they were going to just take a part in this role yeah, just Oscar to be involved jk simmons Keep that in mind. I will say it, it did make me sad seeing all these good character actors thinking about how we'll never ever get like a Chris Farley dramatic role in like a full fucking PTF. Yeah. Movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dave Foley is the only episode of What the Fuck with Mark Marin I've ever listened to. And he has a grim fucking life. There's a reason you don't see him in a lot of films. is because his divorce settlement was so bad that his ex-wife gets something like 65% of his annual salary. Jesus, dude. And so he's just like, he's basically been run out of working. And... This is what happens when you don't listen to International Players Anthem by UGK every day. <laughs> He's the principal in It's Always Sunny for the Juggalos episode. Uh, was the lead in News Radio with Phil Hartman and uh, Joe Rogan. Dave Foley is Postal Dude's Uncle Dave and he has a big tax problem. Turns out his big sex cult isn't actually a legitimate church. And he owes the IRS 
uh, a million fucking dollars. <laughs> and so he descends upon an idea to steal a shipment of crotchy dolls, which is the most South Park gag I've ever seen. It's just a pair of nuts with a drawstring that says, I love you. Now, apparently these things are like Beanie Babies that are worth like $2,000 a, a pop. The last hundred of them can be found in Little Germany, where the rest of this film will take place. Christian, is this about the, the point at which you stopped watching the movie? No, I was still going. I got, I got up to the... Well, I have the files still open. I got, I'm up to the point where Vern Troyer is stuck in a briefcase. Oh, fantastic. He's illuminating the dark with a flashlight dildo. So Vern Troyer, as a stand-in for Postal 2's Gary Coleman, he's fantastic in this. I didn't know that he could speak. Is that is that weird? <laughs> like, he doesn't say anything in he doesn't say anything in Austin Powers. I just just a <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't know. I thought maybe he'd had some issues. <laughs> I, uh, I, did, I did. I did write one joke down for this part when I saw Vern Troy was in the movie. I wrote down, um, "Hey, did you guys see uh, Vern Troy's sex tape?" Yeah, I heard it's pretty short. <laughs> he does have a sex tape, by the way. You can actually have you go seen watch it? that. Is it on Fuck TikTok? No, man. I, the worst sex tape I've seen is probably the Fred Durst one. Whoa! Have you ever seen... You've, you've seen the Hulk Hogan one, right? No, I haven't seen the Hulk Hogan one. But he says, like, the N-word in it, right? No, but he's... The N-word was on a phone call, but in the sex tape, he just keeps on, like... Talking about his wife? Yeah, and just, like, pumping and going, like, Oh, I ate like a pig. (laughs) 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 Working on his stroke game, it rocks. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, he's, like, doing up his pants afterwards and, like, apologizing and talking about how much he loves his wife. Like, it's it's so grim, brother. (laughs) So, yeah, basically, uh, in little Germany town... Uh, the Taliban are planning to invade for a new 9-11, and the crotchy dolls are going on sale as presented by Uwe Boll himself. Could I, could I interject really quickly and say that I keep thinking about, like, 9-11 part two. This time it's four planes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> So there's a great line where Uwe is basically just sending up the person that he is, where he claims that all of his films are produced with Nazi gold. <laughs> Dude, there's a, there's a fucking part later in the movie, like five minutes later, where he's giving someone like gold teeth. Yeah, he pays for like, oh, yeah, got... gold teeth. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I got this from like Shmuley Shlomo. I was like, God damn, man, <laughs> this guy does not give a shit. Uh, Uwe has called this film his masterpiece and the film he's always wanted to make. He made films after this, didn't he? This isn't his swan song, but I think it's definitely his giant middle finger to everyone that came before it. In the sequence as well, one of the crotchy doll mascots takes off their costume to reveal themselves as being the creator of Postal, Vince Desi. Oh, that part sucked, man. And he starts (laughs) screaming, you ruined my movie, and starts beating up Uwe. And then he uh, shoots him in the dick. Yeah. So there's a, a massive big shootout between the Taliban and Postal Dude. 
and a bunch of uh, different cops, one of which is one of the guys from BFS. Every time I see a guy from BFS, I'm just like, hey, he's in BFS. I love we, that movie. Uh, we haven't mentioned about the, uh, the romantic lead, the coffee shop chick, who's also equally fed up with yeah. society. Americans love coffee shop discourse. They love their Dennis Leary, isn't it? I just want coffee that tastes like real coffee. I think the only That's good like, coffee shop scene in a show is from the first episode of Sopranos. Because that's like actually funny. But the rest is just, yeah, Dennis Leary. Oh, great. that incredible coffee shop sequence in the sixth season of the Sopranos where they try and stand over the Starbucks and they tell him, if you just break my legs, they'll just send down another guy from corporate. You break his legs, they'll just send in another guy. And Paulie's like, oh, whatever happened to the little guy? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so to just quickly answer uh, your question about if he did films after Postal, Hugh Boll in 2011 directed a German drama film called Auschwitz, which he Ooh, simultaneously oh filmed on the set of the third Blood Rain movie. You're fucking oh kidding. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> the thing that I'm more shocked about is that there's a third Blood Rain movie. <laughs> oh, dude, I watched Blood Rain 1. Meatloaf is in, like, an orgy with, like, a whole bunch of actual Romanian sex workers that Juve hired because they were cheaper to hire than actresses. It's pretty Holy sweet. Shit. <laughs> God, life is just a grim fucking parade. Yeah. So depressing. <laughs> so there's a massive shootout between the Taliban and the forces of this weird branch Davidon compound where it's revealed that Uncle Dave's sidekick has been setting him up this whole time and that he's really planning to uh, nuke the planet with bird flu and so that his cult can uh, take over the world. Uh, there's a great scene where... Um, he shoots Dave Foley's character uh, dead, and Dave Foley, as he's dying, just fondles a woman's breast. Like, it's just <laughs> so insanely tasteless. Like, this film just, it, it is like the mind of a child. <laughs> I mean, that's funny, though. That's like a funny bit. Well, you were right about the mind of the child part, actually. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> We get some further uh, sequences with Osama Bin Laden, who is holed up at kind of like a, a telemarketing conference about how to get yeah. your employees to respect you. <laughs> the effective leadership course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so funny. The guy that they got to play Osama Bin Laden is fantastic in this. He really it's sells every line. Oh, you're kidding, is no, it? No, it's a soup Nazi. <laughs> oh, that's inspired casting right there. <laughs> Uwe is very quick to point out that the majority of characters that played uh, the, um, the Taliban characters are ethnically Israeli. And he thought that that was like... <laughs> okay, well, I think the last time <laughs> okay, a German Uwe, guy yeah, talked like... about the ethnicity of Israel. Anyway. So this film just kind of carries on to a series of just like mindless gunfights between Postal Dude and the rest of the city. He crashes into a, a baby basket, like which is supposed to be some kind of a homage to Battleship Potemkin, but it's just so lazy. I w this film was two hours long, and it just... Yeah, were you, were you guys watching the director's cut? Yeah, no, I didn't I watch the director's find. cut. I, 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 yeah, I got, that's all I could find. 
Oh, bummer. I got like a 90 minute one. I was... A taut 90 minutes? <clears throat> yeah. I, I did I did, I did. write down at some point, climbing the homeless guy in the wheelchair over the fence <laughs> was a solid bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, and the, did you, like, did you guys get to the line where the old guy's like, I knew this one girl who thought sperm was medicine, all she wanted to do was suck cock. Then she got three little children, so she used to put sperm into their bottles. And they all died of AIDS? And they all got AIDS. Like, what the fuck? I know. That was the most unnecessary scene ever. Like, I did like the gag about throwing flour to find a wet patch. Oh, yeah, that that, that felt like very, uh, like, Mad Magazine to me. Yeah. (laughs) So this film just kind of wraps up. We're no better for having watched it. What did we learn, fellas? That, you know, equal opportunity hate is actually kind of beautiful. But that's really about it. Christian, any thoughts? Nothing too deep. It just kind of, like, reminded me of how all comedies in 2020 are just, like, anxious adults reacting to situations. And there's no, like... Uh, so I did a thing. Yeah, like, I kind of miss the old, like, even if they were bad, it was just cool to have the option to watch some piece of shit like fucking epic movie or postal or like scary movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. It feels like we talked in our last Patreon series about how there was this arms race after American Pie in terms of tastelessness that really would have kind of seen at Zenith a few years before something like Postal came out. But in comparison to what we have today, like we talked about last week with how Uwe's films are just identical to the slop we find on Netflix now. There's nothing to make them inherently the worst film ever made anymore. There's watching something like Postal makes you just... And then looking at something like Tuca and Birdie or Bojack Horseman, like, it makes you miss what you used to be able to just track down. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a piece of fucking shit, but it's, like, a nice piece of shit. Yeah. Like, if you're going to put a, you know, a flaming bag of turds on someone's doorstep, you want to have a good piece of shit for it. And that's kind of how I feel about these movies. <laughs> it is also interesting to see this film and is Uwe's first film post-2006's Raging Bowl documentary where we would see Uwe take on his critics, including Something Awful's uh, Richard Lotax Kianka, in hand-to-hand combat for the things they've said about his films. And this feels almost like this kind of this final fuck you to the critics you you said i couldn't make the worst film well here i'm giving it to you on a platter try and find something bad about this because i've made it all completely explicit this time (laughs) this is uve he's passed his depression period of blood rain and in the name of the king this is uve just letting loose Oh, yeah, I, you could definitely tell, like, watching it was like, oh, this is made by a person that just does not give a fuck whatsoever. Which was kind of like, that That part was kind of enjoyable, but it, I mean, I gotta reiterate, this movie was a piece of shit. So. <laughs> yeah, there is nothing Look, just... good about this film, but it's almost liberating to know that you watch. 
I feel like the way I feel about this film is how the turbo nerds felt about every Uwe film in the 2000s. They knew it was a piece of shit and they still consumed it. Well, you know who didn't think it was a piece of shit? The Hoboken International Film Festival that awarded Uwe with the best director and this film with the best of festival prize. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. I sentence you to Hoboken, New (laughs) Jersey. Jersey, Yeah. I did find a, uh, I, I sent it to you guys already, but I'm sure everyone would probably enjoy the review I found on IMDb. The uh, 7 out of 10, if, if I could read that right oh, now. Yeah, yeah, I'd please. love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so this person saw it at Fright Fest in 2007. And they said, yes, it is offensive. Yes, it could be seen as a big finger salute to everyone. And yes, it is funny. Anyone who takes this too seriously really needs to just step back and take a breath. Yeah, the whole 9-11 element is a little bad taste. And then in brackets, this is the most important part. Hell, my parents were out there that day, and I didn't hear from them for a whole three days. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so that person ends up giving it a 7 out of 10, which is uh, pretty good. Well, if he can no, laugh at it, we can know. laugh at it. It reminds me a lot of, uh, there was a nightclub in Brisbane a while ago. I forget the name, but I remember seeing a Facebook review of it, and they were like 4 out of 5 stars. And the review just said, my friend accidentally got stabbed by a needle here, but everything else was good. (laughs) (laughs) That could be any nightclub in Brisbane, to be honest. (laughs) Not wrong. Let's wrap this up, shall we? So when we covered House of the Dead, we saw an earnest Uwe. An Uwe that was excited about the prospects of movie making. An Uwe that wanted to put his influences on screen his and he found the perfect muse in the adaptation of a violent video game in alone in the dark we saw uve taking his first steps into hollywood with not big budget but uh name brand actors taking part in his production it was still you know uh, it, it was still, you know, not quite the picture that we were hoping for. Not quite the picture he was probably hoping for. He's on record as saying it doomed his career from the start. We then saw Uwe through his transitional period into big budget blockbusters with name brand casts as his finances would continue to fluctuate and he became kind of a lightning rod in the industry for everything that was terrible with filmmaking. And finally, we come to a close as we see Uwe at his most zen, his big fuck you, his middle finger and his peace out to the world, his mic drop with his postal film. So when we ask, who are you? Who are Uwe? <laughs> now we know. Yeah, he's, uh, an, uh, I guess, an angry man. He, I guess, after this kind of ran out of a fair bit of money uh i think the german investors that he was exploiting eventually dried up and... the tax loophole closed for good in 2014 around yeah. the same time he decided to take his bow from the film industry <laughs> <laughs> i wonder uh, if the two are related yeah <laughs> I was just looking up on uh, Celebrity Net Worth. He's only worth... I mean, not only, but he's worth $10 million, which is quite a lot for 
like you know considering what he's made but also the guy made 33 films in like the last 15 years yeah there's <laughs> not that much <laughs> <laughs> but i think that ties into what we were saying on the last episode how uva makes money to make movies not movies to make money he's just so he's so impassioned that he just has to compulsively fucking do it like me with whacking off a complicated man and a shitty dude thanks for having us christian (laughs) (laughs) thought i was talking about uve didn't you it's been a pleasure yeah Uh, where can we find you on the internet christian uh if you go to pornhub and search (laughs) up man sucks his own dick 69 uh no no i mean just just twitter i think anyone that's gonna listen to this probably knows what my ad is, so I don't want to plug myself. It's kind of weird. <laughs> no Powerade in the USA. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. And please tune in next month. We've got a very special Patreon series. It is Knock on Wood, The Impression That I Get, a series of four films dealing with the mighty, mighty boss tones, The Impression That I Get. We'll see you next month. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>